Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Episode 85 of Who Killed? Featuring special guest Naptime Nancy Drew of the Naptime Nancy Drew Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. On this week's episode, I was lucky enough to be joined by the host of Naptime Nancy Drew Crime Stories, a podcast available wherever you get your favorite shows, and we discussed a very interesting case out of Columbus, Ohio, where the crime actually didn't take place, but that is where the victim was from. And the case is from the 1970s, so there is some sparse information on the case, but this was definitely one of the passion cases that uh, Nancy had picked. So this was a case close to her art. She's written an article for the Philosophy of Crime website as well, and I did provide an excerpt and a link in the show notes for that particular article. And again, this is about the murder of Sherry Lynn Swally. Now, I just wanted to take a second to thank Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast, as well as Kelsey German of the Delphi murder case that is gripping the country and has continued to do so for the last three and a half years. I was recently on a Get Vocal with Kelsey and the Survivor Network, as well as LA Not So Confidential uh, Dr. Shiloh and their podcast. So that is actually available. I'll provide a link for that in the show notes as well. And that's just a little bit more on top of what Kelsey and I had been discussing. And it's a video chat, so you get to see our faces. And that was pretty cool. So again, all we can do is hope and pray that eventually somebody will step forward and accept that $250,000 reward that is still out there for any information leading to the arrest of the perpetrator of the murders of Abby and Libby. And again, I can't thank Kelsey enough for the amount of time that she dedicated to me and allowed me to ask some pretty, I don't know, not so fun questions uh, about how she feels and you know, she's one of those strong, strong advocates that I could not say is in a better spot to promote other people's cases as well as her own. And I think that that was conveyed through our conversations. She's definitely one of those people that wants to build a network, wants to be an advocate, but wants to 
also be, you know, a normal person to a degree, but she's been burdened with this awful tragedy as well as losing her best friend. So she's an extremely strong person and she's very young and it's very impressive that she's able to pull it all together and is able to, you know, go to school as well as advocate for her sister on such a fervent uh, pitch. So I just wanted to say thanks to the both of them for last week's episode and then Kelsey for all the time that she has dedicated to helping get the, the word out about her sister and all the different platforms that she's used to do so. But again, this week's episode is a brand new episode about the murder of Sherry Lynn Swally. So let's jump into my conversation with the host of the Naptime Nancy Drew podcast. I am lucky enough to be joined this week by the host of Naptime Nancy. And what am I supposed to call you? So, I mean, I've gotten everything from Naptime to Nancy, but you know, you can call me Mel. That is the shortened version of my name. I don't normally put that out there everywhere, but you get the exclusive. Um, yeah. <laughs> no. I don't think that's very exclusive because that just, no, not really. a lot of people, but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, like, you know, I was a big fan of Mel's Diner when I was a kid. So I guess it kind of dates me a little bit, but you know, Hey, there you go. Yeah. You know, no. so that's what I'll think of. I'll think of Mel's Diner when I think of, you know, referencing the, uh, the show. So what is the thing and the thing being what is your passion case that has brought you on to this week's episode? So this case is actually um, the murder of eight-year-old Sherry Lynn Swally. Um, and her family was actually originally from Columbus, Ohio. Um, and her father like decided he was going to take her and her five-year-old brother to Disney World. And so he planned this whole trip on their Christmas vacation and it's just a it's a heartbreaking story but they basically sunday morning december 23rd they packed up and and headed toward um you know headed south and he uh sherry columbus dad, they were yeah out of columbus okay. yeah okay. um and this is uh 1980 um so he decided to contact a friend out of Atlanta, Georgia, that was a former coworker with him at um, Westinghouse Electric Company in Mansfield, Ohio. Um, and so that was like a eight and a half hour drive. Um, he didn't want, he, you know, since it was Sunday, he didn't want to drive late at night and risk like running out of gas or something. So he thought this would be the safer way to go. Um, and this, this apartment building that uh, his friend Clyde was living in is called the, we're called the Pace Setter Apartments. Um, they're in like Collier Heights, kind of Northwest Atlanta. Um, and they were brand new, like they were considered luxury apartments and kind of, um, it was a wide range of anywhere from, you know, uh, $8,500 a year salary to a $55,000 a year salary. It was like a, a mixed bag of all different 
walks of life. Um, so it was one of those there. like kind of like a, okay, what, I mean, okay, what do they call that? The call those these days, uh, like mixed living or um, mixed I, income living? Because yeah, I mean, it was like a. I mean, it's really kind of covering every base and. With that being said, there's also got to be stuff for every demographic in that regard, because yeah, price out of the, you know. Well, and what they were running into is because they were calling them luxury apartments, people were taking luxury and going, "Ooh, I can rob all kinds of people in this place," um, because they must, you know, if it's luxury, then they must have some goods hiding somewhere in there. Um, genius, genius and, marketing genius marketing. yes uh it's just it really was a tragic tragedy because i mean sherry wound up being like the fifth person murdered in like nine months in those apartments alone um but um so they get now this their, was the 80s this was 1980 right yes yeah okay. december 23rd 1980 they you know oh, sorry, Anyways, let's and let's i was just gonna say like just for the listeners murder nowadays we're very very uh a, i don't know it's not as abundant or as common as it was back then as much as it sounds crazy oh. to say because it's so much more reported on now but there were way more homicides in 1980 than there were this year <laughs> so december 23rd 1973 yeah family is heading to disney world yeah world. disney world so uh, disney-, disney world had must have just opened because i mean that was like pretty yeah, it had to have been. i mean we've all seen those documentaries i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it you're right i I hadn't actually thought about the fact that it would would have been fairly new, um, but that was like their, you know, Christmas vacation family um, getaway. I, I, there, I can't help but think of the Griswolds. I apologize for trying right. to for trying to like discount the severity of the actual crime, but I apologize. Family packing up in the Midwest and heading to a, a theme park in a warmer part of the country. I'm just. Can't help but think of Clark. No, don't. <laughs> I hear you. It's uh, yeah, little holiday road. Uh, they holiday uh, road. <laughs> that was a cut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so they're packed up and they had they you know drove the eight and a half hours to uh, the dad's former co-worker's apartment in, in Northwest Atlanta, and they get there and they're exhausted but the kids just want to get out of the car and and play you know and he probably just wants to um relax and and catch up with his buddy and so the dad um john swally winds winds up the last time he sees his daughter is around 6 30 p.m that that sunday evening um and she's just playing with the the kids in the apartment complex um which you know it's set 1973. That was like totally normal to just, you know, all right, I'm going to go catch up with the adults. You guys play outside. It's cool. It was normal to do that in 1983. <laughs> right. I know. I, I mean, even in the, the 90s, I was, you know, outside all the time just playing in our backyard in the wilderness. So <laughs> I, I can't imagine how many backyard garages I 
the hopped fences on and all the stupid stuff you do as a suburbanite. I mean, geez. Right. But by the way, yeah. just a little uh, a little Disney history here. Uh, the doors actually opened at Disney World on October 1st, 1971. So it would have only been two years old. So this would have been really a, like a, a big trip. Like a, Yeah. I mean, now Disneyland had been in existence, but this yeah. was, you know, this was a whole new thing. And that would have been a huge deal. Yeah. For the East Coast, for especially. And I can see why you would pack your family up and head down south like that. It totally makes sense. Oh, yeah. And the warmer weather in the wintertime, like it all sounds amazing. Mm hmm. I've done uh, it. I've been there. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I did it as a kid. I mean, it was, gosh, I mean, the first time I went to Disney World, I think it was 1988. So, I've still myself. never been. <laughs> I need to go. Maybe, you well, know. Well, if you make it to CramCon this year, I think you're going to be too close to the situation to not go. Right. I know. That would just be a crime in itself not to have like a big group of crime con people go over and ride the disney world rides <laughs> or you could be like an idiot like my buddy and i who stopped at wall drug instead of going to i don't know mount rushmore <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> you're in south dakota so often why not go to the tourist spot first idiot <laughs> oh my i'm just like picturing for crime con like a bunch of people with like true crime podcast merch shirts and like you know <laughs> i don't know i just and walking around disneyland and people are like what <laughs> you know What's we all that? look the same right like we're right all, we're all normal <laughs> right and well and yeah exactly but like people when when people see like a murder podcast shirt for example you know the stereotype is that we love murder and it's like so not the case you know it's more like we want to help try and you know get the word out there to hopefully have someone the right person call a tip in and solve the case but people get that misconstrued so i was just thinking how awkward that would be seeing someone and assuming that in disney world but well, hopefully yeah. i just cleared that up not that we would you know go on a tangent but sorry about the tangent guys yeah right right okay sorry um okay so let's get back to the they just got there to the apartment complex in atlanta and he sees his daughter for the last time at 6.30 p.m. Uh, but she was actually last seen between 7.30 to 8 p.m. by this other woman, um, Carolyn, that was going to make a big dinner for uh, their guests and um, his coworker and I don't know who else. But she said, uh, you know, Sherry, go get everybody for dinner. And so she goes out and she tries to find people and was never, or, you know, wasn't seen that night. And her dad wound up calling the police around 8.30 PM um, because they just could not find her anywhere. Um, by that morning, there was, they were still searching and they discovered her clothing in like a wooded area really close behind the apartment complex. Um, and she had been 
drug out to like right behind the the apartment so it was like maybe what 20 yards so um really not that far away it was within like 150 apartment complexes people could see where she was placed um and she had been stabbed multiple times and she had been you know sexually assaulted and it's just like just this horrific tragedy finding your daughter like that let alone christmas eve morning and there's just there's just so not a lot of media on this case for whatever reason um and so i just wanted to put it back out there yeah i, I definitely think that that would be the most tragic and the most un expected thing to see as a parent uh especially the day before christmas and how my god that would impact you i mean it's just yeah it's like gonna be a dream come true vacation and it just is this horrific tragedy um she apparently according to police it, it looks like she was last seen in the company of a teenage boy um in like a, a green army jacket. Um, and so, yeah, well, and I guess it was a younger teen too, to clarify in case there was any witnesses potentially listening, but let's hope. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of, you know, if you think about dragging a body back out like that, sounds like you're almost trying to tell on yourself, you know, um, Mm-hmm. And from what I read is um, the police think that this person that killed her actually called and turned in the crime, uh, like, you know, reported her or like a, a dead body. And then they believe he was also spectating the search. I don't know if he, they think he was actually like part of the search party or if he was just on the sidelines kind of checking out what was going on that's probably my guess but um to be able to to drag her out and be found by 10 30 a.m is just means to me it's like what time was dawn probably seven ish you know uh so he would have had to have been able to do that beforehand and come sneak back in his home wherever that was and not i don't know had to have a change of clothes or something at least get rid of the jacket i would assume if you're stabbing a victim yeah (laughs) yeah i would say that there's probably going to be a little bit of a crime scene uh you know splatter on you if you uh just so happen to uh wear a jacket to the crime just well yeah yeah i mean like i just he would have had to have either a change of clothes or just completely gotten rid of his stuff by the time he got home but it's just kind of like shocking to me that that's monday morning it's christmas eve so people are going to be on the road heading to families homes to you know celebrate maybe not at seven maybe some (laughs) but you know it just seems like how did this kid or whoever killed her escape without being seen unless he was so close to the apartments that, you know, he was able to get back inside pretty quickly. 
that's oh that's uh that's crazy yeah yeah i i was trying to like figure out if there was other cases um like even in the apartment complex that were similar um and they really weren't um surprisingly um there were some shocking ones though like the in what, March of that year, there was twin sisters that were handcuffed and then shot like execution style. Um, and then in like August, there was a 17 year old girl that went to go visit her friend at the apartment complex and someone knocked on the door. So she went to go get her friend's door and someone shot her in the face. And it turns out that they did that because they were intending it for the person that lived in the apartment complex saying that they were pissed off that that person made fun of them and spit in the pool and I don't know, something, you know, it seemed really juvenile and horrific, you know, that someone would resort to that. Um, and then the last murder before Sherry's was, uh, actually an, an Atlanta patrolman um, who also worked security at the Paysetter Apartments. He was just trying to catch some burglars and they shot him um, and he died from those wounds. And that was like two weeks before Sherry was murdered. So it's just like, you know, after that, they tried to up the security because uh, it was just, you know, things were really starting to become panicky um rightly so i would be freaked out in that in that neighborhood yeah i definitely would not be comfortable especially i mean just it it's so i mean the youth i mean that's just not the, the kid isn't even old enough to understand what the what's going on it's just yeah such an insult to injury I know it's, it was absolutely terrible. And like now her, I know her brother is still alive. I believe that her parents are, but I'm not for certain, but it's just like, I can't imagine not knowing who killed your child, but also it just seems like people forgot about it. You know, um, it's still on Atlanta's, um, like 32 unsolved cases, but it's not on like the Georgia Bureau of Investigations or, you know, I don't, I very rarely see any updated info about Sherry Swally's case. There's been any updates? No. Um, no, it's, it's really sad. I think the last thing that was written was from uh, the case a day philosophy of crime blog that, that I wrote myself. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, I think it was um, Atlanta put that out a few years ago, like the little blurb about it, but it was just said that she was killed at the apartment complex and not much else. Um, so I, I've been trying to look into different potential suspects. Um, the only thing that I've seen so far that raised my eyebrow, but still seems really far-fetched um, was that this was about five years before like the Atlanta child killings. And I was like, well, okay, Atlanta's huge. So 
let's see where, you know, Wayne, uh, Wayne Williams wound up living because he was the one that's suspected of being the Atlanta child killer. Um, in the, I think that his little reign of terror was like from 1979 to 1981. There was at least 28 children that were abducted and murdered. Um, 28, uh, mainly or primarily black children that were abducted and murdered. And it was just like horrific because they just, they never wound up being officially able to link him to these crimes. All of them. He was on uh, or they like had someone portray him on season two of mind hunter. And it was just wild to see scary. Um, Williams. Yeah, um, and you he, know he. I'm oh, sorry. The thing about Wayne Williams, though, I mean, this is what I'll say about Wayne Williams is that <clears throat> I can't say that he committed every one of those crimes. I don't think anybody yeah. can, but I would definitely say that he probably committed a few of those crimes, mm-hmm. just because of the fact that of the fiber evidence i mean it's just impossible to get around that if you know anything about forensics yeah it's one of those crazy (laughs) he literally got caught dumping a body with the police like right down the road he did and he didn't i mean this the way the story sounds like yes it sounds like they pulled him over and did they went down and they checked the river and they found a body like all in the same in the same night but unfortunately that's not what happened it was four days later that they actually found the body they let wayne williams go that night um they questioned him but it was not something that happened it was a multi-day you know thing because the body was like down river that's one of those things too that comes up in people's conspiracy theories because the size of the victim was you would have had to have been pretty Wayne wasn't a very big guy is all I'm trying to say. No. Guess. No, he wasn't. But he seemed like stocky enough to maybe be able to handle At the time his own, for sure. You know? At the time, yes. Yeah. Um, but see, um uh, that's why I was saying it's a probably a far cry that um this was him. But I thought, you know, he lived maybe further away than uh, from Collier Heights, but Dixie Hills um was like two miles away from here um and he would have been right around 16 17 so i was like eh, it's not impossible but you know he probably wasn't the only guy out there becoming this type of or you know not that type of killer but there's other people out there with knives (laughs) um but he mainly from what i read um was in like did strangulation and who knows if that was a trial by error, for lack of a better term. Like, I prefer this um, for him, but I don't know. I just, I I doubt that it's him, but I was like, well, he lived close enough. I might as well just throw it out there. Yeah. I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta especially at that time, I mean, 1973. So, I mean, we're talking they're pretty much coming into their own at that time. And mm-hmm. all that stuff's new housing. 
all think about all the different people they're bringing in from all these different areas that didn't just necessarily live in the greater Atlanta area, but maybe from other states or different parts of Georgia. And oh yeah. It's like, okay, well that just opened up the, you know, the box to millions of people. Right. Not to say that there are yeah. millions of people that would commit that kind of crime. It's just, it just does expand the search area in my opinion. Oh, for sure. Like th- that was like, okay, this is a real stretch, but surprisingly he did live fairly close within walking distance. But at the same time, like you're right, it was so up and coming and it makes sense now looking back tragically that these cases were, went hush so quickly, um, especially like, these ones and then the Atlanta child killings, like it was in the media, but it wasn't at the same time. Like they were trying to downplay things like, no, 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 still move to Atlanta. Come on. You know, <laughs> we don't, there's not a whole lot of murder here. It's fine. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, not that it doesn't happen everywhere, but it se- does seem like it was kind of a uh, politically motivated, if you will, for, you know, they dumped so much funding in there that, they didn't want to promote that too much that there's bad things that can happen anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, that definitely falls into a place in a lot of different cities as far as, I mean, I, you know, off the record, we talked about uh, the captain when we spoke on the passion case, we talked about Madeline McCann and of course they don't want that to be like the name, the n- number one thing that Portugal is remembered for. But <laughs> what do you think? Right. You think about now, and you think about that. It's like, I, I mean, the easiest way is to find the person that committed the crime. But um, I don't know. It's it's uh, no city wants, and especially like exactly. I, I did the Atlanta Atlantic City uh, murders. Those uh, the four women that were found behind one of those shady motels back in the oh yeah mid two thousands, right before the Long Island serial killer stuff. But it was still one of those like it was a blip on the radar. Like I remember it very well, but it just went in and out of the news cycle so fast that there's a reason for that. Is that cities mm-hmm. that rely on tourism don't want to dwell on. <laughs> obviously negative you know yeah exactly well I I hadn't realized like you know I did a lot of research into the the Golden State Killer case but until I listened to um Paige St. John's um uh the man in the window podcast I didn't realize that they tried to warn um like sacramento tried to warn southern california that there was this guy that was escalating and probably going to kill people down there and this is his mo and and they shut it down because it was so close to uh the reagan ranch and so it was you know it's a shame that it got shut down and kind of dismissed um because it potentially could have saved some lives but yeah uh, who needs yeah i mean yeah right <laughs> with it it's sad that 
things aren't taken seriously. Hopefully we're learning from these horrific mistakes, but. Well, we've been in a lot of situations where we've clearly not learned from our past mistakes. And I mean, I think, you know, not to, you know, we don't know what's going to happen when this, by the time this actually airs, but I mean, just with what's going on with, you know, the virus and all that other stuff and the reactions around the world. I mean, it is different. I mean, people are acting differently and you can, you have to make the right choices and be cognizant of what you're doing. And I mean, the same thing goes for, you know, kids and women and men, right? all that stuff. But, but I mean, still, yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah. Um, Exactly. As like, soon I'm as I at, said, I'm, I'm looking at Tweet Deck right now. They just canceled the Cleveland International Film Festival. Oh no! The Warriors oh. and the NBA just announced that Thursday night's game is going to be closed to fans. Oh wow! So, I just went to the Blazer game the other night, and I was like washing my hands and like, <laughs> you know, got the we got the Purell. And, live yeah. in a weird world for the next few months. Yeah. Which, yeah, who who knows, but I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't know, because who knows, but again... Uh... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see... We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Wow. <laughs> I Wash your hands, say. people. <laughs> exactly. Be smart. Be smart. Yes. Cough pocket. Cough pocket. Cough. Hey, exactly. hot pocket. Cough pocket. Yes. I'm telling That's you, exactly there, what I was like a, there is like a, there is something there. I think you have something. Right? That should be a like PSA. I think um, so. I think so. The more you know. A slow burn media PSA. The more you know. Yes. The cough pocket. <laughs> the next time you're in a situation where you feel like you need to cough in public, turn to your cough pocket. <laughs> cough pocket. All right. The done. more you know. <laughs> with Bill yes. Huffman and Bell. From Bell. Mel, yes. Or <laughs> nap time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite one they're like thanks nap time like you're welcome <laughs> you are the best nap time oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah um i that was i mean this was some extensive digging just to find that little information on this case that i could find and i just kind of like i'm saddened for their family the the whole swally family it's like heartbreaking that this just kind of got swept under the rug it seems but maybe you know maybe they are actively working on it but i've never seen anything about dna testing about you know any of that coming out if they even still have any available yeah i mean i oh man okay I'm getting distracted by how many canceled events are coming across us right now. Oh, no worries. <laughs> yeah. I, um, uh, I just didn't want to miss uh, saying anything about 
No, it's all good. Uh, Weinstein's going to jail for 23 years, so that's all good. Well, hopefully he'll die there. Uh, he'll be 90. Well, yeah. I'd say he's pretty likely to. So yeah. Well, good, good whether it be that. old age or someone turns their head <laughs> and looks the other direction, we'll see. He's not a child rapist, so unfortunately, I don't think he gets that same... Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't even know. It's crazy. Like when I was looking up, actually looking up Sherry's case, um, another article had popped up about like the L.A. area in 1974, and it was talking about how 30,000 kids were like part of this whole, like, you know pornography ring thing i was like what Thirty thousand? like and that was just in la that they were talking about it i was like oh my god this is just it's disgusting how like no one talks about it and they just sweep it under the rug even you know we're going back 50 years now close to and i, I mean i don't think know about, let's think about this for a quick second what still gets swept under the rug uh i mean like people Everything? Everything, yeah. Epstein, kind of, you know. Look at how long it took them to even get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's uh, just be honest. I mean, like, I mean, let's call a a spade a spade if we're gonna do it. Let's be honest. If there's it, anybody that's been out there more so like hiding what they're really all about, then that that heart, yeah. That what was that one Netflix episode? Or it's like the killing. Damn it. I can't think of it right now. Um, but that nun that was murdered. Oh, the um, keepers. Yes, thank you. The keepers. Um, that was like the first time I had seen um light shed on like PTSD and how you can block out memories and then all of a sudden it just comes rushing back and it was like, Yes, okay, people need to see this because that can happen. People just downplay and gaslight. Oh, you all of a sudden remembered, huh? It's like, yeah, no, for real. Your your brain does that. It protects you like from your darkest memories and sometimes they come back and sometimes they don't, you know? It's just survival mode. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I know I'm a true crime junkie, and I'm assuming you are as well since you're listening to this show. If you are looking for another show to listen to, Sword and Scale is what I recommend. They just so happen to be the longest-running true crime podcast, and they take you behind the scenes by using 911 calls and interrogation audio to tell you the real-life stories that will chill you to the bone. And you could say Sword and Skill basically invented a new podcast genre back in 2014, years before these other true crime podcasts became popular. Sword and Scale is hosted and created by Mike Boudet, who expertly narrates each shocking episode to fully immerse listeners into a carefully crafted real-life story that proves that the worst monsters are real. Sword and Scale is available bi-weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today and leave them a review. That's Sword and Scale, also available at swordandscale.com. Again, subscribe today and give it a listen. Sword and Scale proving that the worst monsters are real like i think back to i mean i don't not to date myself but i think of when 
you know, like Roseanne Barr was going through her like uh, repressed memory. Yeah, there was like this whole like era of repressed memories. Yeah. And I think it put a, as somebody who's a huge proponent of mental health therapy and a big proponent of talk therapy, I thought it did a very big disservice to the industry because people obviously would take advantage of that situation and um right basically they looked at you know we're gonna hypnotize you tell us what you're you remember and they're somehow gonna like use that as like (laughs) i don't know i'm sorry but no Right. Yeah. It's hard. Some of them, like the new light therapy, I want to say it's like EMDR. Those are, oh, I'm, from what I've heard, is like that kind of therapy or, you know, it, it does tend to work for PTSD, but I know what you're talking about. It's like There's another thing, the psychedelics, the psilocybin effects. I mean, John yeah. Hopkins has been like one of the leading researchers in the industry and that regard and they are literally pushing governments to allow them to prescribe that you know the active ingredient magic mushrooms <laughs> to people with PTSD and manic depression because what it does is what they've determined is it opens up a avenue in your brain that doesn't close and it's a avenue that gets closed when you go through something traumatic and yeah like to me having you know that i mean i lost my father like a decade ago but like you know you lose a parent and it's still it's still you never get over it i mean yeah so it's like i don't know i I, i'm always interested in hearing new ways of dealing with serious situations like like this i just think it's i mean with depression and anxiety and it gets such a bad rap sometimes it's such a it's so unfair i think yeah well and i'm i appreciate that you advocate for mental health as well because that's what i am all about like there's i don't think there's a single episode where i don't talk about mental health in some form or another um actually i just talked about psychedelics a few episodes ago um, (laughs) for yeah, about Brian Page. Um, they were dropping LSD, and then the friend wound up showing up, and and like his car went missing, his friend went missing, and then he shows up the next morning and gets arrested for stealing a used car. And it's like, but he said, "I was in hell. I thought I was in hell. I was on LSD," and he never really got investigated. And the kid. 16 year old Brian Page, they were like, Well, sorry, he your kid must have just ran away. It happens all the time. Oh, it was it was a weird deal. Yeah. But, it's it's really I, wild how you know our minds work and don't sometimes. Yes. For like, real. Yeah. Like common sense, you know, like I don't know, being prepared for something <laughs> tragic to happen, like having toilet paper and I don't know. <laughs> like the hand soap. yeah oh my gosh sounds yeah. practical but <laughs> apparently we aren't practical obviously there's going to be stuff that's going to be done that needs to stop the spread but i just don't know if they're going to have the abilities to do it as yeah. easily as let's say i mean like italy has literally closed down the whole country 
that's I I'm amazed by that. <laughs> Their whole business is like tourism. <laughs> wow. I can't even imagine how much money they're losing on that. Yeah, something like that. Which, I mean, hopefully they're saving day. lives, but um, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, where do you go from here? Do you go to the, okay, we're going to just shut everything. You know, it's like, I don't want to put it on the same because it's not the same, but I will for a second. <laughs> um, it's kind of like when terrorism is at its peak. Do you right. go about your daily life and or do you let it affect you? Yeah. Nine percent of us, we just kind of go about our daily lives. And I mean, I'm sure well, yes. that, I'm sure there are people that don't, but I I mean Well, and like all of us that you know read so much true crime stuff, we have to like go, okay. There's so much bad out there, but there's also so much good. And, you know, <laughs> can't really be afraid of everything all the time or else you're really not going to have good quality of life. But at the same time, just don't, you know, practice common sense. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I says the girl with like anxiety and depression, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I don't. Know, the whole thing is just anytime it, you deal with true crime. I mean, when you think you know, you never know. <laughs> like it's just, it's just like you leave a test in college and you, you feel like, oh man, I aced that thing, and you come back and you get like a C, and you're like, what the fuck? Oh well. Yes, exactly. And well, and I was just thinking about how we were talking about Disney World for this case. We went to Disneyland last year around like January. And right around that time, I had been really researching Amy Mihaljevic's case. Um, and we wound up going there with our two young kids and it hit me out of nowhere. I was compartmentalizing all of it, you know, the horrific details and all of a sudden I just had like this panic attack and I was just kind of like laughing to myself amidst the panic attack that like it was the happiest place on earth. And I'm having this panic attack in the bathroom, like what the hell? <laughs> but um, yeah, which by the way, Fitbit Versa watch has like a uh, breathing exercise thing that like totally helped me through that, um, which, and I was able to go about my day and have some fun after that. But it's just, it's wild to, I don't know, it hits you out of nowhere sometimes with the worries of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think anytime in the business that we're in, I think you you deal with a lot of negativity and the only way to balance it out is just to remember that these are so far and few between that there's a reason why we're talking about them. You know, if these were like yeah. normal, if like if these were bank robbery, like we want to be talking about a bank, like bank robberies happen every freaking day. You know, there's nothing oh, unique yeah. about them, but you know, there could be a great movie about them like heat uh, or, you know, the bank job or something like that, you know, but it's like, you're not going to get the same type of thing in an hour long podcast as you would in a murder case or a, a you know, a abduction or a 
the rape or you know crime in that in that sense and i know that sounds kind of like glamorizing it to a degree but it's not it's it's bringing attention to a case that needs attention most cases exactly. that i cover aren't cases that are solved so that's the reason why i like to cover them you know so hopefully one day maybe somebody will hey listen to that and go gosh sparked something in my mind and that's exactly why i cover unsolved cases as well and if i do cover someone that's been arrested it's usually like they still have unknown victims out there or something and it's more so because i want to help just like you advocate for for family members who don't feel like you know their voices are being heard um by as many people that probably should hear what's going on who could potentially help solve the case some people hold stuff in and it's like oh i just have this you know tiny little info i doubt i even remember correctly or whatever just turn it in you never know yeah i definitely think that we've become a little bit more judicious as far as what we decide to prosecute and what we don't yes Um, i think that we've realized to a degree i I mean you look all you have to do is look at the amount of plea bargains in the federal system about how much it costs to take things to trial uh i think 90 and i think this even goes for local stuff but like something in the 90s percent yeah uh well and resolved via plea bargain so the cost not just that like it's cost and the fact that like now we have, you know, wonderful programs like the Innocence Project shedding light on the fact that there's a lot of people out there that went to jail that should not have. And unfortunately, now we have to be extra diligent because people were getting put in jail for things that they didn't do. Um, so it's it sucks uh, that there are people out there that's like, you know, they did that crime or you know they killed this person or whatever and they just get away with it scot-free because they don't have enough information it's it's heartbreaking yeah it really is i just think it's unfair to the families obviously involved and for any friend of the family or friend of the victim it's just when you don't have answers and you're left pretty much to speculate on you know what the end result is it's yeah well and not and not even just family members i law enforcement too like i that is one of the reasons i could not be in law enforcement though i respect them i just um that would be so frustrating for me to to know that someone did something and not have enough to to arrest them and help you know, ease a community's fears and a family's pain. And, you know, it's just, that would be so hard, so heartbreaking. Yeah. I think that the big thing about, um, you know, unsolved crimes and crimes against children, it's so important for the family to, and I know this was this was before it was really a thing. So it's not. This is this is the problem. John Walsh really changed the way that people approach missing children. 
mm-hmm. through, through tragedy, obviously with Adam's horrible death and, and his case you can say is solved or isn't solved. Very, very questionable. Yeah. Um, and if you want to look into that people, you, Otis tool, look into it, go ahead. It's crazy. But we'll say this is that in John Walsh's playbook is you have to be the advocate. You have to be the number one supporter. You have to be out front and in front of the news cameras saying, this is what we need done. This is how we need to do it. And in 1973, guess what? They didn't have fucking cable. Yep. Yep. It's, I can't even imagine. And you're, you're expected to have that on your shoulders. Like you, that is sadly what you have to do, but it's like, I can't even imagine when I get stressed out or, you know, I kind of shut down. Um, and so I can't imagine, oh man, how hard it would be to, but I mean, you'd be pissed enough to be loud about it. I'm sure. I know I would, I would be like, Oh, that's cute. You, you're going to try and silence me. I'm going to get an air horn and, uh, you know, a megaphone and go around town letting people know what happened to my kid. No, I, and social media and everything, I I would never shut up until, you know, somebody took notice. But it's it sucks that we have to be our own advocates. I'm a, I'm a huge John Walsh fan and admire everything that their family has set up for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, just bought myself a hoodie. But <laughs> <laughs> gotta represent yeah no i did they're honestly like i said before he really did his child's case i mean as tragic as it is um if you want to read a good book or listen to a good book uh, i think it's called bringing adam home uh i just listened to it recently in the last couple months um and that's a really really detailed uh version of the Adam case. So if you, anybody oh, is interested in like learning about that, that's uh, bringing Adam home is what it's called. And it's super in- interesting. And it really does talk about John and, and his wife and basically what they went through and they separated for a while. And I think they got back together and it's like, you know, they're bonded through tragedy and obviously he, is i mean he, he's john freaking walsh i mean that's oh, yeah. like it's anybody who grew up around in the 80s and the 90s i'm sorry but america's most wanted and he's badass i mean he's a badass and one of the first cases that he covered was amy maholovic's case and yes um <laughs> i have his outtakes of of it and it's and it's fun i mean it's funny to see how young he is but <laughs> You know, he had been through the freaking ringer at that point already. And it's just, it's amazing what some people can do in the face of tragedy. And Absolutely. Yeah. He's a prime example of that. Every time I hear Johnny Cash's God's going to cut you down, I think of that, his intro to his show. I'm like, yeah, such a badass. <laughs> I'll get you. Uh, <laughs> yes oh man you can run but you can't hide that's right i mean i was not like i mean no i was just gonna say like it's like when i was a little kid 
um unsolved mysteries was the like the show like oh my god i don't want to oh yeah i don't want to hear the i don't even hear his voice i don't want to hear like it was just like so traumatizing but you'd watch it because you're stupid and you're a kid and then you would be able to sleep for like a week and you'd be like why can't i sleep for a week and yep uh, yeah exactly that's how i ended up in therapy when i was 10 years old just to (laughs) let everybody in on my deepest darkest secrets but yeah that's uh you know (laughs) it's just that's why I'm a proponent of therapy. If you don't talk about it, how aren't how are you ever going to get over anything? It will literally catch up to you mentally and physically in the long run if you sweep it under the rug. It's just it does. My aunt died at 50 of um basically a broken heart, but alcoholism from not not taking care of her mental health. Um so, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for it as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that do suffer from mental health, even if they do take care of it, can still fall into the category of easily self-medicating with other things. And you know, it's oh, for sure, yeah. You know, it's each his own. I mean, I'm not going to discount it. It's just, you know, it is what it is. But I'm glad that. I this is the thing that I'm and I and I'll stand on my soapbox for 30 seconds here. When I was 10 years old and I made the decision to go to therapy, it was like therapy was on the move to you know be the next great thing for people. Like exercise had been for the 70s and the 80s you know like jazz or yep. running and jogging or whatever um, i know well i've decided to laugh because i just see this one place <laughs> yes i just think i just remember yeah jazz, come on everybody remembers jazzercise oh yeah and if you don't google it because you'll like get a hell of a laugh um but nonetheless it's like um God, I mean, I don't even know where I was going with that. Uh, just, Sorry. Uh, it was just, it should, therapy was like the next Oh, yeah. Thing. So like, yeah, it's like all of a sudden therapy just goes like stigmatized. And I don't know if it has to do with Columbine or it has to do with the way that it's portrayed in the media. But the fact that every mass shooting is blamed on mental health is like the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. And I'm standing on my soapbox saying this and I'll stand on it and I'll say it to this anybody who wants to fucking listen is that just because you're not insane when you buy a fucking gun doesn't mean you won't be insane someday just saying yeah. just saying you can't <laughs> the future just saying seriously it's not a and it's such a um you know it, it is it's offensive to just throw it on the shoulders of anyone who has ever suffered from a mental illness that's just bullshit because it's just like anything the majority of the people within that category represented are not bad people. You know, it's the, it's the few out there that are, you know, had these horrific things that led up to a perfect storm of evil that, that are really representing these people or misrepresenting a whole group of people. And it's really unfair. Yeah, it definitely. I, <laughs> uh... I can't begin to tell you how mad it makes me that it isn't what I was sold that it was going to be. And it's not, it's not the industry's fault. Well, it's partially the industry's fault. I'd say the fact that 
the media jumped all over the repressed memories thing in the mid nineties really was a big detriment to psychiatry. And there were a lot of people that were quick to take advantage of that. And I think that set things back. Yeah. Uh, You can debate me on that. I have talked to my psychologist about that. He can see where I'm coming from in that regard but it did seem like every week you'd turn on a show and it would be like a new celebrity had a suppressed memory that was coming out. And I'm sorry, but none of that stuff has been proven to even be any bit real. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, well, I was, I was talking with a detective about, I don't want to give their name away cause I don't want to, put any heat on them but um, we were talking about like dealing with what they have to deal with and like PTSD and they said you know all of us are given the opportunity to go to PTSD therapy Um, we have all these mental health you know tools at our hand or you know at our fingertips and most people don't go because you are looked at all of a sudden you you could be demoted you could be ridiculed you could be oh well she's she or he or are too emotional to handle their job because they're depressed or whatever and it it happens to law enforcement you know military all over the place and it's just it's bullshit that people ridicule people for trying to get themselves help when really People that are expressing their emotions and letting you know, like, hey, I have anxiety and this is what happened to me or whatever. Those are those are the really strong people that are like, you're putting yourself out there. That's that's what bravery is to me. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that you have to put yourself out there. And if you don't, if you're not honest with the people that... <laughs> one who like if i'm not honest with my listeners like about like okay one of my sponsors has been better help in the past mm-hmm. hey guess what i really believe in it because if you feel like you can't get up and you can't get to a doctor's office because i can tell you for a fact it's nearly impossible to get a proper psychiatrist anymore um yeah yeah, you, you this stuff does help, and the people that think it's like, oh, it's just you're having a bad day, go fuck yourself is what I have to say to that. Seriously, because um, yeah. it's like you know what? Um, yeah, number one thing you could tell a depressed person is, uh, you know, oh, you'll just feel better. Like, no, you're just sad right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm just sad. Um. No. Uh, depression, anxiety, all that stuff is real, people. I'm sorry to tell you and sorry to break the news, but, you know, it's true. And bad things happen, too. You, go, you know what? You may not even be depressed, and something may happen that actually causes you to be depressed. <gasps> yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. It's called the human fucking brain, idiot people. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. I am. Um... It's Damn, unbelievable. That's what I was going to say. I'm just, <laughs> but, well, I'm sorry. I, I, I no, you're fine. Box and I just, I, I went off. Totally. I no, just, I'm glad you're talking about it because it is a, like, I did a two-part episode about my own 
PTSD and sexual assault from college and like why I never came forward and all that, you know, like, and, and I didn't realize until this last year, what type of, what type of things were connected to like the vices I do now all stemmed from that experience. And I didn't realize it because I blamed myself for so many years. So um, I've been trying to be more outspoken about mental health because it is, it's just as important as going to your regular primary care doctor, if not it's, more. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's actually more important. And I think yeah. the fact that you've been told, most people have been told throughout their lives that, they, well, this is the biggest problem. Most people haven't been told jack shit about their brain. So they don't know when bad things happen. There's a reason why alcohol is a crutch. There's a reason why weed's a crutch. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that like those things aren't crutches to people and people I know. And food and And yeah, whatever else. You know, but again, it's like you have to acknowledge the fact that these are all health mental health related things and yeah they may not be connected to one exact moment like my uncle died of AIDS in 1990 there you go I mean it's like it's that's a tie that not a lot of people have yeah you know shit my dad died of cancer I can find a lot more people that died of cancer than I can that had lost an uncle to AIDS but my poor grandparents had to lose both you know, there's two of their sons to does my grandfather was a fucking chief of staff of, you know, of a hospital and he couldn't do anything for his children, you know, and it's like, you want to talk about feeling helpless. It's just, give me chills. Yeah. Yeah. And I unfortunately was at home when my dad was sick and had to watch him go through that. And it was, I mean, yeah, you want to talk about PTSD and not realizing what PTSD is, what it, I mean, even when you think you're dealing with it by seeing somebody on a regular basis while it's going on, yeah, I can, I can honestly tell you that it wasn't until four years later that I really had my, you know, I don't want to call it a midlife crisis because I wasn't old enough to have a midlife crisis, but I want to say <laughs> where like I had my office space moment where I was like, I looked around at what I was doing and said, wait a second, this isn't who I want to be or what I want to be remembered for. And I basically fucking flipped the fuck out and quit my job. Those, yeah. Well, I mean, those kind of things can really put perspective like, okay, what yeah, are those four things years I still later want- though? And it's, yeah. I mean, well, I, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't even tell my parents about my PTSD and stuff and what went on in college for 16 years. I I just kind of suppressed it. And yeah, so I, I totally can empathize with you on that. It's like you, it's like, it was right there the whole time. How did I not fucking see this? But it's sometimes you just take a little while to catch up, I guess. Well, I would say that like, I think, you know, it's there. Um, You don't want to deal with it. Yeah. I, 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 yes yeah i mean i i can't speak for you i, I honestly i'm not going to sit here and try to say that i have any any idea what the hell that you went through because that is that is insulting to you 
and your experience. Yeah. And I'm not going to try to sit here and try to pretend like I know, but I will say that I personally know what it's, what it's like to like, just feel completely helpless and yeah, feel like your whole world is just totally flipped upside down and you have to have like a, and I'm not going to say it cause I'm not a religious person, but you have to have that moment where you come to the right fork yeah. in the road where it's like, okay, I got to deal with this or not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some people can't, you know, there's, I mean, that's, that's why my aunt passed. She had to, you know, she couldn't face that. Cause that's the hardest part about PTSD and stuff. It's not easy to, to face that stuff and, and take it head on in order to heal. So that's, I commend the people that can and I just my heart breaks for the people that can't because I I can only imagine how hard it is to make those kind of decisions for yourself, you know. Yeah, it, it, I just I'm it's I don't know. The whole the whole thing is just a I feel like it's just been set back 20 30 years as far as mental health goes. I think it takes people like us and I'm, i feel like yeah we'll be able to we'll be able to correct the situation quicker than the situation became what it is but the fact that every mass shooting is blamed on a, a mental health with a blanket statement yeah it's like okay okay so like okay you look at my medical records well then i look like i'm gonna be <laughs> like no like that's not that's not a judgment on right it's bullshit yeah i mean i i grew up around guns and i was taught how to you know respect a weapon and the gravity of it i don't think that everything falls on that like i would never i would never do that you know i would never even fathom hurting another person just like i know you wouldn't but um i hate that people blame mental health as well um, it's just, a. I definitely think we need better background checks and on so many different levels of that, but, um, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that actually with what you said, I think that's the way that really you change the situation is you start young mm-hmm. and you start with an age demographic, like, say kindergarten or first grade and you start basically having conversations because what you lose in and this is what we've learned as a society in the last i think 10 years is that the older we get the worse we get at communicating with one another and yeah if we don't improve those skills then we're all going to die young because the reason why my grandmother is still 101 and my grandparents on my dad's side lived to 95 and 96 is they were active to the day that they died. And it's like, if we're going to continue down this path of digital media where you don't really see anybody, you don't do anything that we're all, you know, life expectancy is going to start to come down again. Oh yeah. Well, I completely agree with that. And um, one thing that was really comforting recently that um, my son um, had a speech therapist. Um, He's nonverbal autistic and well, getting, I mean, he's coming leaps and bounds, but we were talking about this very situation. And she said, you know, what's really cool is what 
we're trying to push for um, is to implement mental health um, from very young ages to help people realize, you know, um, to help little children realize how to manage their own stress and to process their own emotions. Um, and so I was like, God, that's really comforting to hear because that just was unheard of. It's still unheard of, you know, most places, but hopefully the more we talk about it and not sweep it under the rug, the more we'll be able to, you know, help future generations, well, I think that is exactly where we kind of stand. And I think that's where we can make an improvement moving forward as one advocates of mental health and bringing the cases that we talk about to the forefront, because, you know, these aren't like we talked about, or you mentioned briefly, and I didn't get a chance to respond just because our conversation went on a little tangent but it's just but i was just going to talk about the first responders and how mental health i mean it all plays and it all plays like yeah if you're not aware of what you will see in a situation let's say you're a a fireman or a you know a first responder of of something and even in a small town and you've never even you know, it's like seeing crime or something like that. It's just like, it it will have like, yeah. Tragedy. Um, like you have to be able to deal with it. Yep. Yeah. And some, some can compartmentalize that and still show compassion for people. And some are come off as cold because they have to compartmentalize that, you know? And so people don't get that. They're just like, Oh, that guy's an asshole. But maybe he really is. I don't know. But there are some people that really are able to do both. And I just commend them for that because I could not do that. It takes a special type of person. Yeah. Um, it, but I mean, hopefully they're getting help with their mental health on the side to help them get through that stuff. But I just, wow, I I couldn't see what they see and be in the situations that they are in on the regular, um, you know, and survive. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We live in a weird, weird world where it's like they want you to go ask for help. And then all of a sudden they're going to tell you, yeah. Whoa. They're going to blame you for the next mass shooting or something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, they'll, they take it and they'll go, Oh, thanks for telling me. And then turn it around on you. Like, well, you did say you were depressed and you know, you probably have all these issues that you're capable of this. No, but anyways, um, I unfortunately gotta gotta go pick my child up from preschool pretty quick here. This is what happens. See, this is, this (laughs) happens all the time. Like I end up having great conversations with people and like don't necessarily get to, I mean, we covered the case. So yes, those examples, but like I've talked to Sarah Turney and Kelsey, I mean, from Delphi. Yeah. Like, she and I talked, I don't know, like 
three weeks straight for like two hours at a time. <laughs> and it was like, we like would never even get, she's like, we're not even there yet. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, I feel like we, we covered the case, but we also had this lovely Ted talk and that, yeah, that was good. Well, I, I think it. it, I think it's important for people to understand, you know, um, like, 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 let's just do a clean wrap up. Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, I know you have to run. I, Really appreciate you making the time. I know you're on the West Coast, so it's difficult for you to, you know, schedule your timing around us East Coasters. But uh, I do appreciate it, and I think the listeners will really be interested in learning about this case, and hopefully they will be able to maybe learn a little bit about the case and maybe be able to, I don't know, turn some evidence in if they have any that can be used and somewhat solving the case but yeah thank you so much for having me on the show and yeah absolutely i hope that there are some people out there that grew up in the atlanta georgia area um and have heard about this case or or live nearby they could turn a tip in or even just you know just spreading awareness of the case is huge and you know we we were able to touch on some really important topics in addition to the case uh, of Sherry Lynn Swally. So that was awesome. I'm glad you asked me on the show. Well, I'm glad that you made time and I really do appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much again to this week's sponsor, Sword and Scale. They are a great podcast. So please go and subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. Also, thank you to Naptime Nancy Drew for joining me all the way from the West Coast. It was an interesting conversation, and we definitely covered a lot of different subjects. And obviously, I'm a big advocate for all things relating to depression and anxiety, so uh, we delved into that a little bit. Uh, But I would recommend you subscribing to her show, Naptime Nancy Drew Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and some of the other shows that I've done, you can help support my podcast by clicking on the donate button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W. Or you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3 or via PayPal with my email billhuffman123 at yahoo.com. And really, every contribution does help keep these shows on the air you can also help support the show by leaving a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows and again those five stars do help keep the cases that i cover in the spotlight i do drop new episodes of who killed every friday night at midnight and if you have any information regarding any of the other unsolved cases that i've covered please reach out to the fbi at 1-800-CALL-FBI as well as you can submit a tip anonymously via Crime Stoppers. If you'd like to stay up to date on the shows and the cases that I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Thank you guys so much again for listening this week. And until next time, please be healthy and most importantly, stay safe.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.